Today's episode of the Ringer MLB Show is brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, home of a veritable smorgasbord of podcasts, including the Bill Simmons Podcast, Ringer NFL Show, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, Binge Mode, Harry Potter, The Dave Chang Show, House of Carbs, Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air, One Shining Podcast on Shuffle. There's a podcast for every interest. I was just listening to The Watch with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan, and they were talking about Mission Impossible Fallout and Andy's weird thing, I guess, distrust of men with faith hair so he and i are gonna have to have a talk about that uh next time i see him but you should listen to the ringer podcast network now on with the show Pack it up, pack it in, let me begin. This is The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman, and I am a staff writer at The Ringer. As always, we are part of The Ringer Podcast Network, and this week on TheRinger.com, we are all abuzz about the 100 greatest TV episodes of the 21st century. Please go check it out. A lot of work has gone into it from across the entire staff, writers, editors, designers, multimedia folks. It's been a full team effort, and we're very proud of the way that's turned out. So if you have a minute, please go check that out on the ringer.com today has been a very busy day in the baseball world uh today we're going to be ditching our traditional three segment format and going full roundtable uh at first with bill simmons who you might know he's going to come on and talk to zach and ben and me about uh, the trade deadline action and then uh, ben and zach and i are going to wrap things up a little bit later but without further ado it's time to get to the show so here it goes all right, so we've got a, a full house today. Usually we go just two people at a time today. I'm joined by Ben Lindbergh, Zach Cram, and the boss man, Bill Simmons, all at the same time. Gentlemen, it's yeah. been quite a trade deadline. <laughs> it's a busy day. My head hurts. I like when the trade deadline's in the middle of the week and we can really have time to concentrate on it. It always sucks when it's on like a Saturday or Sunday. I like to kind of let it carry my Tuesday or my Wednesday. But this is a weird one. I... Can we start with the Orioles? I just don't understand what they're doing. Yeah, okay. I don't, like, Scope is good. And he, how old is he, 25? 26. 26. 26, yeah. They basically gutted their team and got rid of all their guys. Like, why not trade all the guys to the Dodgers? Why not just do, like, a mega trade and get all the best Dodgers prospects or whatever? Instead, they, they carved it up, and it seems like they got 70 cents on the dollar from everybody. But I still don't understand why you're trading your 26-year-old all-star second baseman. What yeah, a weird I, team. They're the most effed up franchise we have right now. It is weird. I think, I mean, Scope's only 26, but he, like Machado, he came up so early. He's going to be a free agent after the 2019 season. So if they're going to suck next year, they might as well deal him now. And I think getting VR is an okay. VR's got another year of team control. He's about the same age. And Scope, you know, he's, when he's, when he's getting on base, he's really good, but he's not this year. He's only got a 273 OBP, which is, rough you know even with the power and playing up the middle so i could you know they got an okay package for him i don't know if it's if it's awesome i don't know if they had to trade him now but i think you know it's it's just the team's going to be bad and everybody but scope pretty much uh gossman's the the guy who i thought they, they might have held on a little surprised bit by that but here's my question when you're on a team that's that bad and it's just hopeless and it's like sad night after night after night. How does that not affect your performance? I would almost be skeptical of somebody who thrived in on a terrible situation, you know? I'm not surprised I, yeah. that it affected him. 
I think it probably does, right? There was a case earlier this year where Machado didn't run out of a ground ball, which it's hard to blame him for not running hard when he has his free agency coming up. But as Michael said, they're going to be bad for a long time. I think Jonathan Scope might be an old man by the time the Orioles are good again. <laughs> He'll be 50. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> this was, weird. was overdue, I think. They, they got half a farm system if you add up all the prospects that they got back in these trades. So they probably should have made some of these moves two years ago, but I think they had to do it now. Uh, don't tell Mallory that. And then the Archer thing was, I, I don't know. That, what, that one what's just your take on the Archer on, thing? And everything. I just like Archer. I, I would like him on my team, and he had a really good contract, I felt like. What do you think, Zach? I actually am unsure how good Chris Archer actually is. He was yeah. really good in 2015, but ever since then, he's had basically a league average ERA. And since the start of 2017, of all qualified starters, he has the highest hard contact rate allowed and the lowest soft contact rate allowed. So even if his advanced stats suggest he is a little bit better than that middling ERA, it's not necessarily bad luck if he's just getting pounded every game. And I think moving out of the AL East and moving to the ballpark in Pittsburgh will certainly help. But I know Michael and I were talking about this earlier about how strange it is that Garrett Cole was traded away from Pittsburgh just a couple months ago, and now they're bringing in Chris Archer, who is probably a worse pitcher, and the prospects they gave up are probably better than the prospects they brought in, even if Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now the prospects they sent to Tampa Bay. They were top 10 guys just 18 months ago. They're not at that level anymore. They've showed flaws over the last 18 months, but I'm not entirely sure if the if the Pirates think they're contending or if they're not contending or if this is just entirely about team control over the next three years, it's the most confusing move of the deadline for me. Would you target AL East pitchers on bad teams knowing that their confidence just gets shaken at least five times a year going against two of the best four teams? I guess that's what happened with Kevin Gaussman going to the Braves too. I kind of like that move as a as a sneaky pickup, but the all these moves together sort of occurred at the, in the same time five-minute window just before four o'clock today between these two and Jonathan Scope moving. And that's what made it kind of hectic was not only were these trades happening, but it was trying to understand the rationale of, wait, this team's adding him? You know, with Archer, it was maybe the Braves who are really contending would add him or the Padres who have the best farm system in baseball. The Pirates are sort of in that middle ground. So in addition to all these trades coming in at once, it was really difficult to try and understand that it wasn't just these players being traded, it was who they were going to. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I need the the Carrie Matheson corkboard to keep track of everything that happened today because it's about... Yeah, <laughs> I tried to keep a list of every trade that happened in July going as I was writing right. my column, and it got awful around, <laughs> yeah, around 3.30. It feels like 10% of the league is on a different team than it was a couple of days ago, so it's it's hard to keep track. And I think that's actually a trend. I'm writing about this right now, but deadlines in the last few years have been a lot more active than they were before that. And part of that is just relievers. Relievers are going everywhere. Everyone wants relievers because they know how important they are in the postseason. Now that teams are really riding those guys hard once you get to October, if you're a contending team, you need a reliever unless maybe you're the Red Sox. Oh, I yeah. knew that was coming. That was like <laughs> well, an elaborate <laughs> setup to stick the knife in that one. Well, I want to, I want to go back to the Red Sox. They got most of their business done pretty early. And Evaldi's one of those, Nathan Evaldi's one of those guys who face a lot of tough AL East pitching. And it, to your point about, about strength of schedule, ordinarily, I don't pay that much attention to it in baseball, but this might be one of the years that 
that might be an exception, particularly in the AL East, just because the Red Sox and Yankees are so loaded. Yeah. And, you know, Ben's written about how uh, the schedules are so unbalanced. Are It's like screwing up the war a little bit. Like the league average calculation is not, is not quite uh, squaring with the quality of competition you're seeing guys facing. And a ton of guys, it's not just Archer, but... Evaldi got traded, Jay Happ got traded, Matt Andrees got traded, Gaussman got traded, all off of teams from the bottom uh, three of the of the AL East. So a lot of those guys, you know, it's entirely possible that those guys will move to different divisions or in Evaldi's case, he won't have to face the Red Sox anymore and his numbers will pick up a little bit. I was out on that trade and then he looked great on Sunday. And I know, back he in, turned but, around real quick. I, it was just so weird to me that they... They got Evaldi and the Yankees got Britain when each team needed the other guy. But then the Yankees ended up getting Hap and now he's got hand foot mouth disease. But uh, <laughs> who doesn't? I just, the one thing I really wanted, this Red Sox team's great. I'm not complaining. I mean, it, it's really been a remarkable season to watch day in and day out. And yet I don't trust six, seven, eight in October. I just don't. I don't feel good about it. And I thought they were going to get this one guy. And all year there's been these trades of, Oh, this guy. Now Herrera's going. Now Colomay's going. And it kept waiting, kept waiting. And then Britain got, and then there's nobody left. And even um, they were trying to get the Texas guy who I was lukewarm on. Even that would have made me feel better. But they're really riding unless they feel like, I don't know, did these August 31st, do those moves happen anymore? Are they we'll hoping see. they're getting one of those? I mean, Verlander happened last year. And that's about as big as the trade gets. But I, I wonder if if some of that's just perception. Like every team thinks it's, or every fans of every team think their middle relievers suck. How many of these playoff teams, even the good ones, do you feel really good about six, well, seven, eight? I guess like the, the difference with the Red and the Sox, Brewers, and I don't know who else. Yeah, the Yankees, I think, would be the hallmark. I think I think the difference with the Red Sox, just watching the rhythm of the season, we've had five setup guys already. You've had guys come in and be like, even like Workman a few weeks ago was like, "Hey, man, Workman, here he comes. Maybe this will be it." But going back to Joe Kelly, who was throwing 99 at the beginning of the year, and he got in the fight with the Yankees, and it really seemed like he was going to be this awesome eighth inning guy. And now they can't pitch him anymore. And uh, Matt Barnes has probably statistically been the best guy, but that's, I guess, we're going to trust him in October? I don't know. It makes me nervous. I wonder, they're sort of in a similar situation to the Dodgers for me in that come playoff time, what might end up happening is whichever guy is left out of their rotation turns into their best setup man. The Dodgers, I'm even more perplexed about. Their big deadline addition, obviously, was Manny Machado. They are one of the winners of the deadline because of that. They added the best player. But bullpen has been a problem all season in front of Kenley Jansen, and their addition was John Axford, who is mm. even that good. And it strikes me that the Dodgers, if everyone is healthy, probably have seven or eight quality starters they can just move three or four of them into the bullpen. And with Boston adding Eovaldi, there's a possibility that he could move to the bullpen or the starter who he displaces could move to the bullpen and bridge the gap between the starters and Kimbrel. Yeah, I don't know if that I don't know if their rotation plays out like that, though, because it's not like they've got eight starters. They've really got about five. I don't know if they've got the starters to spare and the guys who might move to the bullpen, like Steven Wright, if he uh, comes back and is healthy yeah. by the end of the season, or Brian Johnson. Like Those guys uh, aren't going to turn into killer setup guys. Their stuff just isn't going to play up like that. Haven't well, you looked at the race death chart lately? Who needs starters anymore? Starters are so 2010. I love what I love what they're doing. And you know, I'm in that AL Keeper League. We have Stanek. And he just starts and pitches one <laughs> inning, and it's I don't know, it's it's so it's weird. The workhorse on that I love Stanek when he was at uh, when he was at Arkansas. He's throwing ninety nine. I mean, it's not like uh, it's just such a weird 
kind of revelation that everybody had. Why not just get out of the first inning unscathed and then we'll start the game? Because my son's uh, youth baseball league was kind of like that. They'd play the best, best pitcher in the first inning and then you'd have the one kid who could throw two innings, pitch second and third because he's bottom of the order. Like there is a weird science to it. But um, with the Red Sox, I'd, I, my guess would be Evaldi is going gonna, is gonna to be like the fifth, sixth, seventh inning guy. And in the, in October, I mean, you get the starts now, but I can't see him actually starting in the playoffs. They have a Pomerantz problem, which is probably going to resolve itself over the next three to four weeks. But it's not like, I'm sorry, Zach Cram. It's not like the Yankees pitching staff is looking much better. The whole rotation imploded this month. I thought the Yankees were going to go full bullpen and just forget about starters when they, they got might. Britain. When they added Britain to what was already maybe the best bullpen we've already seen, I, I figured they might just not even bother to pick up a starter, just do what they did in the wildcard game last year where they got one out from Severino and then they just went bullpen the rest of the game. But then they did pick up uh, Lance Lynn, who is Michael's favorite player mm-hmm. in the world, as well as Jay Happ. So they kind of added on both ends. You do, you do like Lance Lynn? Well, it, it was sort of a bit last year. And like, this is sort of the answers to Chris Archer question. Like Chris Archer has been, people have talked about him like an ace ever since he had that one really good season a couple years ago. And I'm looking at Lance Lynn who got no, like he didn't sign until like February or March and mm. got a one year offer from the twins and all of Lynn's, um, career numbers are pretty much in line with Archer's. Like he's just as good a pitcher. If you just look at the numbers and he had a, like like every guy who signs late and misses spring training, he had a really rough start to the season. He's been pretty good the last, you know, three or four months. So I, you know, I don't know that I'd trust him to start a must win playoff game, but like, I think he's a guy who can give you 180 innings of league average uh, baseball every year. If you, you know, sign him and let him warm up to the season instead of just throwing yeah. him in there. What was they your... need those guys to go one time through the lineup in the playoffs. That's well, really I've all been, they need. I've, I've, I've written a 150 word throwaway line in a column every August, I feel like dating back to about 2014, where I'm saying the Yankees should go Tanaka and then either Severino and Sabathia and just do essentially a two-man rotation Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the playoffs and just have every one of their seven closer-level relievers throw one (laughs) in and just work it that way. And I'm waiting for them to do it. What was your favorite trade? Because I actually thought, I like Brad Hand to the Indians probably the most of anything. At least the American League teams did. Because if they can get Miller back, I keep looking at the Indians. The Red Sox are, if they win the AL East and they have the best record, they can't play the Yankees if the Yankees win the wild card, right? They would actually. They Did they change that rule? Yeah, so it would be... When did they change that? With the when second wild card. Two, so the Dodgers, oh, so we, the Dodgers so, played the Diamondbacks last year in the first round. So we would play the Yankees. Oh, wow. That would be a bloodbath. The entire American League playoffs would probably be a bloodbath. I, I like the hand move too for that very reason. Because I was, a, I was a terrified of playing the Indians because I just, I, something about that team, I feel like we haven't seen them peak yet. Like Carrasco really hasn't gotten going this year yet. When Miller comes back, I, their bats, I don't know. That, that's, that team's on my radar. They're a team that we've talked before about how their strengths really fit in the playoffs because they probably have the most stars and scrubs roster of the four really good American League teams. But in the playoffs, it doesn't matter as much because then Kluber and Bauer can just pick up more innings and they don't have to worry about the seventh man and their bullpen costs and games like it has earlier this season, which is why I still still think they're just as big a contender as the other teams of this deadline. I 
think the Leonis Martin move that they made earlier today mm. is a shrewd pickup, even though he's not as big a name as some other guys they were connected with, like Adam Jones. I'm not sure if he's any worse at this point. So I, I think Cleveland had themselves a pretty good deadline. I think they're also just in a different situation. We kind of have to judge them differently from a lot of the National League teams and what the Athletics did and the Mariners did because all those teams and basically everyone in the National League is fighting just to make the playoffs, whereas the top American League teams essentially know they're making it already and are situating the rosters for once they get there that sort of has to be balanced differently, I think. I like the Dodgers getting Dozier, too. We talked about how they didn't do much in the bullpen, but that almost just flew under the radar, just getting Brian Dozier for not a whole lot. I don't know how many teams could afford to go out and get Brian Dozier as essentially Justin Turner insurance, but now the Dodgers have this stacked infield, and if Turner comes back, they're going to score a lot of runs, so that will help with the rotation and bullpen situation we were just talking about. I have Dozier on my AL Keeper team and have been Googling things like Brian Dozier pneumonia, Brian (laughs) Dozier meningitis, (laughs) Brian Dozier weight loss. Like, what's happening to this guy? He's been awful the whole year. Um, But that's another one where, you know, kind of a semi-depressing situation. I like getting those guys who are in the middle of baseball hell and then you thrust them into a pennant race. Like, Kinsler is going to be really interesting as a Red Sox player. And he's somebody that, you know, I know the advanced stats are actually really favorable. All the Red Sox message boards were excited about that today. But, you know, he was a marquee guy four years ago. He was a guy in a fantasy baseball league was going for like $35. He's a borderline Hall of Famer. Yeah. <laughs> and throwing him in a pennant race, everybody says he's a great leader. I think this Red Sox team has really good chemistry anyway. And it, I like that fit. It also tells me that, you know, I wonder if Pedroia, I wonder if we ever see him again. I mean, this might be it. He might not. That might be it. He might be done. Might be out. Nobody else in here cares that Kinsler and Pedroia played together in college, and Kinsler had to transfer because he couldn't beat Pedroia out for the starting job. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before I go, I wanted to mention Red Sox secret sauce right now is Blake Swihart, who oh, no. <laughs> who was an absolute train wreck. Once upon a time, was pretty much their best prospect. He was in at least in the top two or three, and as with most catcher prospects was just awful and came up and fell apart and got hurt and all the, all the beats that catcher prospects have. And then they waved Hanley and kind of threw Swire in the fire and he was a disaster. And all the Red Sox fans were furious about it, including my dad and myself to some degree. But then this last month, it's like a light bulb went. And I think a big part of it is, is, Cora is just the best manager this team has, has had since Francona and maybe even better than Francona, but the something about he was able to rehab this guy and he had the game-winning hit last night. He plays all these different positions. Uh, Vasquez has been out. He's probably going to be out till mid-September and now he's like all over the place and he, he I really think during the course of a 162-game season, you need a couple like really weird things to happen with your roster where it's like, whoa, oh, Blake Swihart's going to be good now? Um, you need like three of those things. And I do feel like that's been one of the things from them. What have the Yankees had? Well, I, I'm just glad that, you know, five years after they wouldn't use Swihart to trade for Cliff Lee, it's finally paying <laughs> off for Boston. We, they were so happy. <laughs> I, I think with uh, teams like the Yankees or even the Astros, the reason that they've been so consistently good over the last few years is that they've been able to build up those depth guys. Swihart 
is an interesting situation because he was a top prospect coming up. But he was but like a top 20 the, baseball American The Yankees prospect. have almost been in reverse where they've taken guys who weren't prospects, weren't on the anyone anyone's radar at all, and built them into real players. I think that goes for a lot of the guys in their bullpen, like Jonathan Holder, who all he did in his minor league career was strike guys out and not walk guys, which is essentially my favorite type of prospect coming up. And he's turned that mm. into great success this year. The Astros have done that with guys like J.D. Davis, who I know Bauman loves, who's a pretty good role player for them now. And it's going to be interesting to see how those guys matter in the playoffs when star power tends to rise versus death. I thought they were going to do that with A.J. Reed. They brought him up and it was like, oh, A.J. Reed, it's finally going to happen. And then he got sent down like two days nah, later. AJ, the Astros have all these dudes that it's they like, made, oh. They made a huge mistake not developing Reed as a pitcher. That's, oh, yeah. That's my take on him. Has that ever worked out where somebody had the basically the both worlds in his hand and couldn't decide what to do and then picked one? And it, it seems like the success rate is low well, for the most part. Andrelton Simmons maybe is one who probably could have pitched and that's turned out. Well, he all definitely right, but, oh, that's a good I one. Mean, he yeah. was clearly, I don't know how often it happens that they just pick the wrong one. I mean, the, the Phillies had a second rounder, Aaron Brown, who played both ways and just had no hit tool and they developed him as an outfielder anyway. You know, that happens from time to time. But I just let, you know, Reed just had to mash because he's first base only and he's got like my body type. So yeah. there's no chance of him moving, <laughs> you know, moving farther down the defensive spectrum. It just he was so good in college. It just made more sense to me to to pitch him. He's but, got big power stats in uh, in the minors. I, don't, I think he's, he's one just of those, one of those guys who just can't hit can't hit big league stuff. Or he's one of those guys who he's going to end up on a shit team like two years from now and he's going to hit like 39 homers. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to sneak a prospect by Dave Dombrowski though. So that's the problem. If you get a good prospect, he's probably going to pedal him off for something that can help them more in the short term. So it's impressive that they have as much young talent as they do, given how much they have shed in the last few years. Yeah, there's a, the, the Devers thing is one of those, he's still really young. But he has not been good this season. And I, there was like for about six hours, there's some Beltre momentum. And I, I was trying to fight my excitement for it because he, I think he's like 52 years old. But uh, Devers in a playoff series, the way he's played this year makes me nervous. But, you know, these are, these are rich man's problems with the Red Sox. Mm -hmm. They're going to win 110 games, nitpicking. Um, the, is there any team in the National League that you guys feel like from a talent standpoint is as good as the Red Sox, Astros, Yankees threesome? No. No, probably not. But I think the Cubs are close. I'd be more confident with the Cubs if they had added a pitcher better than latter-day Cole Hamels. I, mm. think, I, I actually think the Dodgers are probably the best team in the National League, my bullpen nitpicking aside, just because uh, I think, as Ben said, Dozier is pretty good Justin Turner insurance, and now their lineup is deep one through eight. And that's something that all the great American League teams boast and that most National League teams don't have. And there could be the Machado, like, six-week crazy mm -hmm. where he hits, like, 450 and has, like, 12 homers. And he did, he started to do it at the beginning of this season when he was, like, showcasing himself. And uh, he was out of his mind. And then you could just tell, like... I remember the first time the Red Sox played the Orioles, watching like the look on Buck Showalter's face for three hours. He just looks like he's in his own his own hell. It's like you just see like, oh, why did I leave ESPN? It was so easy. Just, <laughs> able to announce these games. 
it's hard to tell what the gap is between the cream of the crop in the leagues because, as Michael was saying, things are just so skewed in the AL because you have the haves and the have-nots. You have this giant gap between the good teams and the bad teams, whereas in the NL, everyone's kind of competitive and in the middle, so it looks like they're not super teams just right. because the AL teams are picking on the dregs. So once you actually get to October, I think probably those differences are a little smaller than they seem. Are the Pirates actually going to make the playoffs? No. This is why the this is why I hate the Archer trade so much. Yeah. They've got so many teams to climb over. And in addition to everybody's afraid of giving up too many prospects for a rental, but the way you get yourself in trouble is by overvaluing uh, years of control for above average players as opposed to stars. Yeah. That's exactly what they did with the with the Archer trade. And to say nothing of they got to climb over so many teams that race is so crowded. I mean three and a half games to the wild card doesn't look like that much, but if they got to get past the Braves and the Diamondbacks and I just it there's like a 10% chance of it happening. Yeah, both of those teams got better too. Mm-hmm. Who is the least likable National League team that might make the playoffs that you're like, Cubs. "Oh man, I don't want to watch <laughs> this team in October." Oh, not wanting to watch them. I'm just yeah, thinking like the about most boring, like, not wanting to deal with their fans online. Uh, um, most boring, like, oh man, it's I, I can't even get excited if it was October and they were on primetime. I, I think it's hard to come up with one. Looking at the standings now, either the teams have fun players like the Cubs and the Dodgers or the Nationals, or a lot of the National League teams are full of young guys who are maybe making a run earlier than expected, like the Phillies and Braves in the NL East or the Brewers in the NL Central, who, as we talked about, didn't necessarily improve their pitching, but now all of a sudden have a pretty powerful offense. Even like the Rockies aren't don't have the most flashy names, but Coors Field is just fun in October. It gives something different. So I'm actually really looking forward to the playoffs this year. This is maybe for a later podcast, just because the National League is full of fun teams and the American League is full of dominant teams. So it'll be a bloodbath in one league and just some really interesting, perhaps a veteran versus young player matchups in the other. That would be a good podcast for next week is to look at all the gambling odds for the NL pennant and figure out like who, what are the best value out of like the eight teams? Cause it really does seem like it's a complete crapshoot and you could talk yourself into basically anybody, but the pirates gambling's actually legal now. Gambling's legal. Now I have to go enjoy the rest of the podcast. Bye everybody. Okay. Thanks to Bill for joining us. We'll be right back with more trade deadline talk with Zach Cram and Ben Lindbergh after these messages. Are you struggling to get to sleep? If so, the fine people at Mattress Firm want to help. Mattress Firm is here for you when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. These are mattress experts here, people. And they're not just mattress experts. They can help you build your bed from headboards to adjustable bases to sheets. They even have bedroom decor. They've got you covered literally and figuratively. Plus, if you go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast, you can save 10% with the code podcast10. Mattress Firm offers a 120-night sleep trial, so you can rest assured that you'll love your mattress or your money back. And they offer a 120-night low-price guarantee, so you know you paid the perfect price. With more than 3,000 stores nationwide, not only are they in your backyard, but this means they have the ability to offer you deals that nobody else can. And that's on top of the 10% savings you'll already cash in on. So go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and start sleeping better tonight. 
Before we get back to the show, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit about Burrow. You owe it to yourself to experience the comfort and quality of a Burrow couch. Once you experience Burrow, your relationship with your couch will never be the same. Burrow brings style and comfort to a whole new level and ships to your door fast and free. Burrow sofas are ergonomically designed and comfortable, so customize your Burrow sofa to match your style by selecting the color, size, armrest, height, and leg color. It even comes with a built-in USB charger. Enjoy 30 days of cozy on your comfortable Burrow risk-free or try a Burrow at one of their partner showrooms today. Now, I've got a Burrow love seat in my living room right now, and you'd think that with a couch that comes in boxes to your door, it'd be a pain to assemble, but this is not. It's taken me hours to assemble mail-order couches in the past. This one I got together in about 10 minutes. Uh, it's all prefabricated pieces and clipped together instead of all those tiny bolts and screws and pages and pages of instructions. And now that it's together, I love the clean, modern look. It's high armrests, red, very clean, angular lines in a style I like. And as someone who works from home and spends a lot of time on the couch watching baseball on TV, I would not recommend a couch if it weren't comfortable, and my burrow couch definitely is. So if that sounds good to you, you can customize your own burrow and get $75 off your order by going to burrow.com slash MLB. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash MLB for $75 off your purchase. Burrow makes the luxury couch for real life. And now more trade deadline analysis with Ben Lindbergh and Zach Cram. All right, so now that Bill's gone, let's uh, say what we really feel about the Red Sox and their chances of making the playoffs. I didn't even want to bring up Chris Sale's shoulder. I don't know whether <laughs> I don't know whether Bill had seen that news. I didn't want to be it's the one to break it to him. It's been a busy day. I I told Ryan while I was editing. He asked how I or he asked how uh, the deadline was going down. I said the worst hour of my year every year is between three thirty and four thirty on trade deadline day, um, just because there's so much going on. I missed the Axford trade when I was when I was writing my column. Um, yeah, that's okay. So yeah, Chris Sale going the DL is, is minor news. Um, let's we haven't talked about the Rays and Tommy Pham yet, and that probably mm. would have been my. I don't, you know, Bill said favorite trade. That's sort of a, a tricky question to answer. It's I think that might be the most interesting trade of the of the deadline period. What do you guys think about? Yeah, that situation. You know how that fits in. I think that that trade in the Archer trade at the last second salvage deadline for the Rays. The Rays are really the most interesting team in baseball this year, at least certainly among the non-playoff teams, because they've played really, really well. If you look at any of their underlying numbers, their record should be right up there with all of the playoff teams that we're talking about. So they're getting a little bad luck, even though everyone killed them over the winter for prematurely selling or tanking or whatever you want to call it. Turns out that they had a plan. I think they knew what they were doing. And they're also really interesting in that, you know, Sergio Romo is playing third base and starting games and they're just trying a lot of creative things. But Fam kind of came out of nowhere. He hadn't really been on the block that I had seen. I hadn't seen a whole lot of Tommy Fam rumors and he has not been the same hitter that he was last year for the Cardinals. But I like what they've done. They're finding this balance where They've amassed a pretty strong farm system. They've collected lots of good prospects. They're competitive right now, or at least they should be in theory. And they're kind of striking this balance between getting guys for the long term and getting guys who are good right now, which is a tough thing to do if you can't or are not willing to spend, which is also the race situation. Yeah. And that's let's stick a pin on in in that particular point and come back to it later. But Zach, what do you think about uh, the fam deal? 
I think we should be past the point in baseball analysis where you just like point to a guy's underlying statistics and say, see, he's actually been really unlucky to explain underperformance. But if you look at some of his underlying statistics, he's basically performing the same as last year. Uh, MLB, with its advanced stat cast technology, has basically a stat that predicts how a player should have performed based on how hard he hits the ball. Last year, by this metric, Pham had a 375 average. This year, he's at 369. So that's essentially the same. It's just that it hasn't manifested as such. And there are certainly other problems with perhaps personality clashes between Pham and the Cardinals, which have dated back a few years now. But it seems like the Rays got a player who's not that dissimilar from a guy who was really an MVP candidate last year for some prospects I had never heard of before. Yeah, and he doesn't have to be like he doesn't have to have that outrageous MVP candidate season that he had last year to be valuable. He's still even now he's a league average hitter who can play center field. And I think, you know, obviously like batted ball luck doesn't have an emotional component, but just him being unhappy in that situation in St. Louis where they nickel and dimed him on his uh, on his contract renewal, and there was apparently a feud about a piece of exercise equipment that he wanted the team to get, but the team wouldn't. Um, and it's when that came out, it was it was said far and wide, "Good luck getting the race to pay for your exercise equipment." But uh, if he's like even at all happier in Tampa Bay, I think that you know it's just this is something that in the sort of Saber 1.0 era we laughed off but we know this just as working adults if you're happier if you like the people you're around you're going to perform better and so that's to to me that gives credence to a lot of guys potential change of scenery bumps not just fam but guys like Ken Giles or Gossman or, or you know numerous other players who were moved at this deadline yeah and I would not be surprised if they turn Glasnow into a pretty capable archer replacement and then they've got Meadows locked up long term too so you have the outfield that is pretty productive right now. You've got Kiermaier out there. I like what the Rays have done. They're finding this way to have kind of a, a middle course after it looked like that magic had run out for them because they did this year after year, of course, and then they stopped doing it, maybe partly because they stopped getting good draft picks and they had some struggles with player development. But now things are kind of coming together again. It's just that they're in a division with two even better teams that have tons of money. So that's uh, always going to be an uphill battle for them. Even a a guy we haven't mentioned just quickly with Tampa is Jalen Beeks, who they got for Nathan Eovaldi a couple days ago, he has the best strikeout rate of any starting pitcher at the AAA International League. So he, along with Glasnow, could very well be the next Rays openers or hybrid pitchers, whatever they're calling them these days, and set them up well for the next few years. If you were a fan of the Rays, would that be enough? Like this rock-bottom payroll and this creatively constructed 500 team? I think you're right that we should give them credit for outperforming their expectations through creative means. But like this is, I I feel like that lets management and ownership off the hook for just not spending to put a creative team on the, on the field in a, you know, in a more traditional way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you can do both. I think you can blame ownership and also credit the baseball operations department for those moves. It's, you kind of have to thread the needle there. I think 
race fans are probably resigned to this by now. This is obviously nothing new for them. But that has been a bigger debate in the online community, right, about Mm -hmm. whether we're focused too much on surplus value and did you get a good deal that is actually bad for the players and perhaps reflects poorly on ownership as well. And we're sitting here congratulating the GM because he managed to get more war than he should have for the amount of money that he spent. So I think that's kind of an ongoing discussion now, but that is the way that the Rays have operated and probably will continue to operate for the foreseeable future. So you can kind of make a decision. Are you going to have this conversation every single time you talk about the Rays? Or are you just going to say, yeah, that's the Rays. That's the way it is. Would be nice if it weren't. But working within the constraints that they have set for themselves, they seem to be doing a good job. Okay. Well, here's here's my just making sure we mention it every time we talk about the Rays and now we can move on. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. Whose infield defense do you trust less after their new shortstop acquisition, the Phillies or the Brewers? <laughs> I was going to ask you about the Brewers because they had a really interesting deadline, right? They have too many infielders now. I don't know exactly how they're going to arrange everyone there, but of course, they got Moustakis and then they moved Travis Shaw over to second where he hadn't played. And now he's not going to play either because they've got Jonathan Scope. So Shaw goes to some sort of utility role. So they needed this. Or Shaw, I I think the plan might be to, and I haven't seen uh, um, anything from David Stearns or Craig Council one way or another. So I could be wrong about this, but I think the plan might be to play Shaw at second, Scope at short, and Moustakis at third. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be hard to squeeze everyone in there, but I think they improved and they probably improved more than the Cubs did, but they did not get a starter and they did kind of need one. I wonder how long Moustakis is for the lineup, even though they just acquired him. His OPS by month this year has gone from 914 in April to 776 to 665 to 649, and he's not the kind of defender or base runner you necessarily want to be playing if he's not hitting like he should be. So part of me wonders, like, are, will they just move Travis Shaw back to third and have Scope play at second if Moustakas' struggles continue? In which case, they still have a shortstop hole, granted. But I'm not sure if this orientation of pieces necessarily all fit together. And I think that's why I'm not as high on the Brewers deadline as some, some other people are that I've seen. Yeah, I well, my counter argument to that is if they take Mustakas out of the lineup, like if you don't think Mike Mustakas is hit is uh, hitting well enough to start, you're going to love Orlando Arcia, um, <laughs> who at least is a competent defender in short, but he's literally slugging 250. So I would want you know you you just can't have a guy like that in the lineup, no matter how good the infield defense is. And I think getting scope, it's a weird trade because I don't. Because Luis Ortiz isn't the prospect that that he was a couple years ago, but I don't know how much better scope is than VR. I think he's better than than Jonathan VR. Certainly healthier than than VR is right now, and maybe less frustrating a player. But you know, just getting getting another infielder, somebody who can at least stand at shortstop and not embarrass himself while also hitting, like that makes up a little bit for missing out on Machado. I think having the the top end prospects that the Brewers have with Corbin Burns and Keston Hira, and not only I thought they had the potential to go get Machado or failing that, they had the potential to 
make the Godfather offer for somebody like Jacob Degrom, um, and they needed, but they had a dire need for both a shortstop and a, a starting pitcher. And if they had gone all the way through the deadline without at least doing something to paper paper over one of those holes, it would have been a huge missed opportunity. And I think getting scope. You know, I put them in the winner section of my uh, winners and losers column because I think they they made a couple other good moves around the the periphery. But just getting somebody to fill that shortstop hole was just such a huge area of need, probably the biggest area of need of any contender. Mm-hmm. How close do you guys think that the Bryce Harper trade came to happening? <laughs> it seemed like it was getting some momentum and then maybe ownership shot it down. And then Mike Rizzo released a statement that he's not going anywhere. I think Ken Rosenthal even wrote an article saying that maybe the Nationals could trade Harper and actually improve in the short term, that it wouldn't be a white flag trade, that they could just shore up other areas of their roster. Do you think it was just due diligence or do you think there was a point, say, on Monday night when the Nationals were seriously considering this? I think there's a point at which they were seriously considering it. I think if if the right offer had come in, they would have done it. And I think the uh, publicly shopping him was, I guess, uh, you know, I guess at least partially about telling the public that and telling Harper that. But uh, you know the the concrete offer I saw, like Shane Bieber came up as a, a potential hangup. You know, John Morosi reported that, and you know, who knows if that was actually the, the deal that was our, our, actually on the table. But like, if that's the kind of offer that they were getting, then it's not worth trading Harper. And if that's it, and the, the rumor was that the Indians had refused to trade Shane Bieber, which like, if you're not willing to trade Shane Bieber for Bryce Harper, I don't know what you're doing, but. Mm-hmm. The Nationals did have, an odd deadline in that at the last minute they traded reliever Brandon Kinsler to the Cubs, which suggests maybe they wanted prospects back for a guy they don't think is going to be useful if they don't make the playoffs this year, but they didn't do anything else of note. And they're stuck in sort of a limbo position where they're like close enough that theoretically they could make a run in the second half uh, if they catch down the Phillies or Braves, but they're not close enough to warrant buying and they struck me as one of a few NL teams that was oddly complacent at the deadline. The Rockies are another one. The only player they added was Sung Juan Oh from the Toronto Blue Jays, even though they're only a game back of the Dodgers in the NL West and have holes throughout their lineup and bullpen. So I think while some of the National League teams dominated the news, the Brewers, the Dodgers, uh, the Braves at the end, there were a few teams that are in the conversation that should have probably done more one way or another. Zach, were you disappointed that your beloved Oakland A's didn't do anything besides getting Juris Familia? I know they were in discussions for Mike Fires that ended up not happening, but they are certainly in the running. Well, they certainly did less than the Mariners who uh, had Jerry <laughs> DePoto true. making trades left and right. I don't and know if they did a whole lot worse than the Mariners, though. That, the Mariners that, got that's exactly relievers, my point. but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if any of them are difference makers. The Mariners added a bunch of fringe players who help with the depth, but I'm not sure if they move the needle that much against Oakland. I think the division or the wild card race still probably I judge as the same as, as it was two weeks ago. But I I think 
if Oakland were to do something, it would have been to add a starter, uh, like you mentioned with the Mike Fears rumor. So I guess they're sticking it out with Brett Anderson and Edmund Jackson, and good luck to him. That's a, an awesome thing to be happening in 2018. So I'm excited to continue watching it over the next few months. So let's, I guess, let's talk about the Phillies. They were in on the Machado, or they were in on Machado. They got outbid. Um, they made a couple interesting trades. They traded Aaron Lou for Jacob Wog's pack, who is a fun name and an un, undrafted free agent. Um, but the, their two big deals were Wilson Ramos for future considerations, a player to be named later, or cash, and his Drupal Cabrera for Frank, uh, Franklin Killamay. And I actually think, you know, as much as the Mets didn't have anybody home at this deadline, you know, like I had John Rico from. Uh, from Starship Troopers manning the helm in, in Sandy Alderson's absence. Um, and they, I think the Mets really screwed up by not trading Zach Wheeler, for instance, or not really having a plan uh, to drum up a market for somebody like DeGrom, if that's what, if that's what their situation dictated. But getting Killamay, who is, you know, he's a, a power arm, a potential impact reliever. He's the kind of pitcher, like, not, tremendously dissimilar from Matt Harvey at a, a similar uh, stage of prospect development who they've they've turned those relievers into quality starting pitchers for a while. Uh, it's a lot to give up for Asdrubal Cabrera who doesn't really fix the Philly shortstop problem. Like their problem is they've got six infielders and the only one of them who's the shortstop is J.P. Crawford and he's hurt and when he's not hurt, he's not hitting. So it's, it's another you know, sort of black hole in infield defense, but, but help getting Wilson Ramos and loop, you know, that helps a lot that, that gets air, um, got a blanket on and Andrew Knapp. Wow. It gets Andrew Knapp out of the, out of the lineup for the time being. So yeah, I, I think the Phillies improved at the, the deadline, but again, it's, it's just another, it just feels like every team that was in on Machado and didn't get him is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sort of a story of missed opportunities. That's the thing. I I would imagine not to put my mind, uh, not to put myself in the mind of a, a Phillies fan, since we have a legitimate one on the podcast right now. But I would think that it would have to be something of a letdown to have been considered the favorite for Machado for a while, and to have already been dreaming of signing him to an extension and having him forever and ever, and then having to settle for Astrobel Cabrera. That's a uh, you know a little bit of a step down. But I think they got better. I don't know if they got better by as much as the Braves did, though, because the Braves were very active and they got Gossman and they got Duvall and they picked up Venters and Brad Brock and they were very busy and shored up a a number of areas. And that's going to be an exciting race. You know, Bill was asking us before if there was an NL team that would be boring in the playoffs or that we wouldn't want to see. And for me, maybe it is the Nationals. Not that I have anything against the Nationals, but I'm kind of tired of seeing the Nationals, I guess, in the playoffs. I'd rather see the young upstarts who were maybe slightly ahead of schedule, the Phillies and the Braves, lots of exciting young players. I feel like the Nationals have had their shot and blown it repeatedly. And of course, if they were to blow it again, then you have meltdown potential. Yeah, and- that would be funny at least. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd like to I- see Scherzer pump it up in the playoffs one more time. Yeah. I'd like that too. Either way, I mean, whether they miss the playoffs or they exit in the first round, you have more Matt Williams potential for clubhouse stories because we've heard a lot about the Nationals clubhouse in the last few days and whether it is or isn't currently terrible. So that seems like one of those cases where stuff's going to come out after the season, particularly with Harper maybe moving on. 
Yeah, and you mentioned Phillies fans being disappointed. I am the wrong Phillies fan to ask about that because I love Wilson Ramos. Like, I actually, in real life, love Wilson Ramos. And so, like, I would just personally, I would almost rather have him than Machado just from a rooting standpoint. So I'm probably not representative in that. I do love Machado. Oh, yeah. Well, Listen, you know, before you put on your Ryan O'Hanlon hat, Alfaro is a work in progress. This is the whole point of Jorge Alfaro is that he's this freak athlete who still needs to refine a lot of his baseball skills. And I think the strides he's taken defensively this year are encouraging. But if he misses out on a couple dozen plate appearances because Wilson Ramos and by the way, Wilson Ramos with his busted knees is not going to play every inning down the stretch there, you know, Alfaro is still going to get in some games. I think this is most about mostly about getting nap out of the the lineup and you know and Alfaro may one day become Wilson Ramos. This is why I love him so much. He could become <laughs> Wilson Ramos with working legs. Uh but I think the most boring team like actually within the playoffs um in terms of actually like watching them, I think the Phillies might actually be that most boring team, but mm. at least they'd have the or if not them then the Pirates if we're still counting them as I guess you have to count them as contenders now. They've just made a contender, a couple of contender moves. Um, but at least those teams would have the, the virtue of novelty. And I think we are in a position where a team that has Max Scherzer and Bryce Harper would be kind of boring to watch in the playoffs. One question I have, given the, the conversation we've had about Machado and the teams that miss out on him, who do you think is the best hitter traded at this deadline who wasn't Manny Machado? Because I, as I look through... These players, it seems like a lot of teams that thought about adding a hitter didn't necessarily do so. There was talk that the Yankees would add an outfielder or the Astros would add an outfielder. Cleveland added Leonis Martin, who isn't necessarily the name brand we thought. Who do you think is the best besides Machado? Scope? Um, No, Eduardo Escobar is a better hitter than Scope. Because I think it might be Eduardo Escobar. And if the Diamondbacks are one of the teams that was in on Machado and definitely needed another infielder. I think they actually did quite well for themselves in adding Escobar. He has one of the highest extra base hits totals in baseball this year, which is surprising to say about someone who had never been a full-time starter before this year. And maybe it's just my memory of the J.D. Martinez trade last year sort of slipping under the radar, but I don't think it's impossible that Escobar goes on a a tear over the next two months and helps Arizona not quite a J.D. Martinez level tear but I think that could end up being one of the moves we look back on in a couple months and say how did they get him and why wasn't anyone else in on him that sort of thing is Francisco Mejia the second best hitter traded at the deadline (laughs) um all right. Well, let's. I think we've covered most of the teams that have made made an impact, and let's end on because this is a ringer. We have to declare a winner and loser. So let's go around and starting with Zach. Give me a team that you think won the deadline, a team you think lost the deadline. I think the biggest loser for me is the Rockies, just because they're in the middle of the hunt. They've been really hot lately, and they have really glaring holes on their roster that they didn't address. Nolan Arenado's a free agent after next season, so they don't necessarily have that many chances left with this core. I think even a marginal upgrade would have helped. So the Rockies are my loser, and I think my winner is Tampa for all the reasons we discussed earlier. Even if Glasnow and Meadows don't have quite the prospect sheen they did two years ago, I really think what they've done strategically is interesting. 
the Jalen Beeks edition is smart for a Nathan Evaldi, who they signed when he was hurt for the express purpose of hoping to flip him two years later. And that's exactly what happened. So it speaks well to their foresight. If there's one criticism to make of Tampa, it's that the Archer return kind of pales in comparison to what they could have gotten two years ago. But I mean, who knows if they had traded him at the peak of his value to Pittsburgh, they probably would have gotten Meadows and Glasnow anyway, which kind of goes full circle. I'll go with Yankees as a winner. I think there are a number of teams that are kind of in that tier, but I thought they did what they needed to do, which wasn't a whole lot. I guess they could have used a hitter perhaps, but they needed some rotation depth and they got it. They got two starters. They added Zach Britton. They now have the best bullpen I've probably ever seen. And I think Mm. they did all that they need to do. I think they showed in last year's playoffs just how formidable that bullpen could be. If anything, it's deeper now than it was then. And they've also just added some rotation depth that whether or not they actually end up using those guys in the playoffs, they have a better shot of catching the Red Sox down the stretch. And they have the option at least to back up Sabathia and Severino and Tanaka with some guys who can go three innings, four innings, just get them to the middle of the game, which is all they need. So I like what they did. And loser, we've talked about some of the teams that lost in a baseball sense. I suppose we have not yet discussed the Astros and the Roberto Osuna saga. So since we haven't, this seems like something that could queue up a, a rant that uh, could no, extend I've, this podcast. I ranted in print yesterday. Right. I would, I would uh, encourage our listeners to go read my column on this from Monday night. Yes, I would as well. But they, I don't think necessarily upgraded in a baseball sense. They did add Ryan Presley and Osuna. But you know, I think what they sacrificed in self-respect, reputation, uh, what their fans think of them, or at least some of their fans given their acquisition of Osuna, which seemed unnecessary on top of everything else that we could discuss with that move. I think they brought some shame upon themselves, perhaps as an organization, and didn't even emerge with it all that much better as a baseball team, which if you're going to bring shame upon your house, at least make the house stronger. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that they did that significantly either. Well, this is fascinating because we're going to end up with three different winners and three different losers. So it's this is like practically an argument between the three of us, considering how much we agree on those things. My winner is the Dodgers. They got the best player. And I think they're, you know, we were I was talking to Ryan about this offline earlier. The weird thing about this deadline is how just the sheer volume of players who who moved and how few mm-hmm. of them are really impact players. And I don't know if there's another like not only is Manny Machado the biggest impact player, I don't know if there's another impact player who moved at the the deadline. It's certainly not another impact player who isn't a reliever. You might talk about somebody like Brittner or Asuna or Brad Hand as, as being a guy who could make a difference in a one-inning stint, but I don't think anybody's going to make a bigger impact on this pennant race who got uh, traded over the past couple weeks of Manny Machado. Um, and, you know, it's they're a big team and that's a big team move and so that's the advantage of being the Dodgers is you can go out and do that and my loser is the Nationals just because I would almost rather a team go out there and make some big trades and get fleeced like I I think what the Pirates did was stupid in a way that that uh 
uh, major league transactions don't get called stupid anymore, like since the professionalization of the front office. But at least they seem to have a plan and the Nationals just didn't. They just sort of let the month of July happened to them and didn't do anything. And just the juxtaposition of of giving up more for a free agent to be in Calvin Herrera than they got back for the reliever they sent back out, Brandon Kinsler, who had a team option for next year. Um, that's just, just looking at that, that tells you everything they need to know that they just didn't really know what they were doing. And like, we expect that from the Mets, from the a Wilpon owned team that doesn't have a GM, you know, single GM calling the shots. There's just no excuse to do that for the, to let that happen for the Nationals. So as much as as the season's already a fiasco, it's they made things even worse. Mm-hmm. This has been a very long day. Ben, Zach, thanks for for joining me. This was fun. We'll do, I'm sure we'll do another roundtable before the, the season's over. But uh, until then, thanks for to everybody for listening. And we'll catch you next week. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Thanks to Bill Simmons, Zach Cram, and Ben Lindbergh for joining me today. Thanks to, frankly, all 30 MLB teams for all pitching in and getting the news cycle spinning as quickly as it ever has today. Thanks to Jim Cunningham for producing today's episode. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time.